Well, I need your help this morning uh, as an illustration for my message, and uh, I need all of you to, to help me with this. Um, first of all, everybody go ahead and get out your electronic device, whatever it is. It could be a phone, tablet. Uh, I don't know if you brought a laptop in here that we need to talk after church, but maybe you did. Um, get out your electronic device, turn it on, make sure it's on, okay? And then uh, unmute it. That is the opposite direction of what we normally tell you to do in church. Unmute it, turn the volume all the way up. Even if you have a flip phone, turn it, unmute it, turn the volume all the way up. Whatever you've got, turn it up all the way. Make sure your notifications are on. Everything's on, okay? Everybody find it? Okay, while you're doing that, we're going to put a, a timer on the screen. And uh, the timer is going to be for 60 seconds, for a minute. And um, as we begin today, I, I want us to take some time uh, to just... Sit in silence. Now, a minute is going to feel like an eternity in a group this size. But I want you to sit in silence. You can do anything in that time you want. But what I would like for you to do is I would like for whatever it is, whether it's prayer or whether it's just meditation or just being thought, I would like you to keep your mind focused on one thing for the entire minute. Everybody's phone's on, on and, and unmuted, right? Okay, everybody's mind, mind is ready. Some of you are thinking, I don't want to be that guy. It's okay. It's all right. Everybody's ready to go. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock, on the screen, and you can close your eyes. You can keep your eyes open. Whatever you need to do to focus and think and pray and reflect for one minute. Ready? Do we have, do we have the timer on the screen? All right, let's put it up there. Ready? Let's go. mute them. Make sure you mute them. And yes, honey, my phone was really on. I just didn't have the volume all the way up like I thought I did. Okay, now here's, here's what may be true for you. I know it was true for me. Um, that was impossible. It, it was impossible for me to take one minute and truly think about something deeply or pray about something. Uh, not just because my wife was texting me, during the sermon, or during the, the, the silence, but because somewhere inside of me and inside of you, there was the thought that somebody's phone is going to go off, right? I mean, there's, there's just this constant understanding that there's going to be some sort of tweet or Twitter, or there's going to be a buzz or a ring or a ding or a, something is going to happen. And so even while you're trying to focus, even if nobody's phone had made any noise during that entire minute, there is the reality inside of you that that could happen, now, here's why that is so important. Uh, there's been a lot of research done recently um, about the human attention span and how technology is affecting the human attention span. A professor by the name of Cal Newport, who teaches computer technology at Georgetown University, has written a book called Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. And in this book, he points out that some of the most influential 
people, some of the most creative people, some of the most thoughtful people in our time, people like Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, Mark Twain, all of these people and many others demonstrated a habit of pulling away from daily distractions in order to practice what Newport calls deep thinking. They disconnected from everybody. They disconnected from the people they knew. They would go away. They would have no phones. They would have no access to to any sort of technology. And they would just practice deep thinking and deep reflection. Of course, in our day and age, that is becoming less and less common. Because for many of us, the devices that we carry, phones, no matter how old they might be, are a constant connection that we have with us all the time that pull us out of deep thinking back into somebody else's need or urgency. So it would be like if you were a deep sea diver and you were, you were at the surface of the water and you began to swim deeper, but every time there is any kind of ring of your phone or notification from what happens, you come back to the surface. And you can only go as deep as you have time between the interruptions that you, you face. So each time we respond to a notification or every time we Google whatever question popped into our head last, we pay a price for that. The, these researchers have said it's called the just check syndrome. And are you ready for this? The average American now checks in on an electronic device anywhere from 10 to 50 times every 60 seconds. And it is having a massive negative impact on our, on our creative performance. It's having a massive negative impact on our ability to think about things and, and our cognition. In fact, research now shows that the average human attention span is shorter than the average goldfish's attention span. <laughs> now, this is a problem. It's a problem in corporate America. Because employees are so distracted by so many things that they're not able to be as productive as they used to be. It's a problem in creativity because people are not able to think and disconnect long enough to truly be creative. And there's a professor by the name of Sophie Lee who has discovered something called attention residue. You want to sound really smart in the next conversation at the water cooler, just throw that out. Attention residue. Here's what attention residue is. The more often we are interrupted from thinking deeply, the less we can think deeply. Our attention span gets shorter and shorter and shorter as the attention residue builds up inside of our mind. And so what this has done is it has created inside of us, inside of those of us who use a lot of technology, an inability to think deeply and to spend quality time being creative. Now, this has a profound impact on our spiritual formation. Because here's the reality. If we cannot focus... For longer than nine seconds, which is what they say the average American's attention span is now. If we cannot focus for nine seconds, then we are unable to focus on God for any significant period of time. Our prayers become shallow and thoughtless, and it makes it almost impossible for us to have a deep and intimate relationship with God. So this isn't just a problem in the corporate world. It's just not a problem with productivity. It's not just a problem with creativity. It is a problem in the church with our ability to connect with God in a meaningful, meaningful way. Now here's what we know. Long before Carl Jung, long before J.K. Rowling, and and long before uh, Mark Twain, the Bible tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In fact, this one fact about Jesus is repeated by all four gospel writers, and it's mentioned over two dozen times. 
that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. You see illustrations of it. You see that statement itself that Jesus often got away from everybody, went out by himself for long periods of time to focus on God and to pray. What's so interesting about this is that Jesus' prayer life and his habit of solitude were so profound that his followers, the disciples, noticed something about it and said, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Because they saw something different about it. Now, I want you to think about this. If you were to read all four Gospels, nowhere in the Gospels do the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. Nowhere do they ask him to teach them how to teach. They don't ask him to teach them how to lead. They do not ask him to teach them how to grow a church. The only thing the disciples do ask Jesus to do is to teach us how to pray. And that is because they saw something so remarkable in the prayer life of Jesus that they wanted it for themselves. And listen, if you go back to the very nature of human design, the design of the human mind, the design of the human psyche, when God created the world, he told man, listen, you can work for six days, but on the seventh day you are to what? Rest. That he designed your mind to need space, margin, time and place in order to reconnect with the people you love and in order to reconnect with him. But the reality is very few of us are ever disconnected from the outside world. We're constantly being pulled back and pulled away by whatever technology we have access to. And listen to this. When God took on flesh, when he himself became a man and came and lived among us, he modeled for us this need. This is why Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He understood that he needed that time, he needed that space to think deeply about God, to reconnect with God. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? So what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to do a little series, a three-part series called The Prayer Journey. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different psalms from the book of Psalms. If you open your Bible right to the middle, you'll probably be in the book of Psalms if you want to look for it. We're going to pick three of these psalms over the next three weeks to look at because the book of Psalms is basically the prayer book of the Bible. These are templates and models that teach us how to pray. These prayers are very transparent, very honest, very vulnerable, and we want to take a look at them over the next three weeks. And these three that we're going to look at in particular— are highlighting a different aspect of how we communicate and connect with God that we often overlook in our culture today. But I'm going to tell you, these three things, what we're going to look at today, next week, and the week after that, these three realities of prayer can do more to connect you and to to create an intimate relationship with God than maybe anything else you can do on your spiritual journey. So next week, uh, we're going to look at prayers of repentance And then on the third week, we're going to look at prayers of surrender. But today, I want us to open up to Psalm number 139. Psalm number 139, it was read for us earlier on the screen. And we're going to look at reflective prayer. Now, let me give you a definition of reflective prayer. If you're a note taker, there's a place for you to to take some notes on the back of the bulletin. Reflective prayer is an invitation for God to search my heart and test my thoughts. Reflective prayer is not about you talking to God, because isn't that what we think prayer is most of the time? We've got our prayer list, we want to pray for people, we want to get it done so we can go on with the rest of our day. And so we rush in, we say what we want to say, and we're out, without ever taking the time to stop and listen to what God may be saying to us. Reflective prayer is about listening to God. And I think Psalm 139 teaches us three 
really important things about why we need to practice reflective prayer. Three things about it. The first thing is this, that God knows everything about me. There is nothing about me that God does not know. And I don't just mean physically, about my biology. I mean about my heart, my mind, my thoughts, everything about me. God knows it all. And this, this basically means there are three things that you need to understand. If God knows everything about you, that means three, at least three things. First thing it means is that I can deceive myself, but I cannot deceive God. I can deceive you, but I can't deceive him. Listen to what the psalmist said in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you have placed your hand upon me. He knows where I go before I go. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. He has hemmed me in all around me and on top of me. There is no escaping the knowledge that God has of me. But here's what's true for me. And my guess is if you thought about it for a little bit, it would be true for you too. I frequently do not know my own thoughts, my own feelings. I don't know my own motivation. Or I at least I don't want to admit what truly motivates me. I don't want to admit why I was short with my kids when they got home from school. I don't want to admit the things that I do and why I do them, the motivation that lies behind my, my snarky attitude sometimes. There's a motivation behind it. I don't always know what it is, but God always know what it, knows what it is. Let me give you a little insight into, uh, uh, into another world for, for just a minute. A good actor, your favorite actors, either on stage or on screen, the ones who get paid the most money to perform are actors who know the motivation of their character. In other words, they understand why their character is saying and doing the things that he or she says or does. They know them even if the character doesn't understand and know. A good actor playing Hamlet knows why Hamlet says what Hamlet says, even though Hamlet himself may not fully understand. Listen, we are like characters in a play, and God is like the master actor. He knows everything that motivates us. He knows everything that's going on inside of our hearts, even if we are not fully aware of it. One of my favorite examples of this from the Bible is the story of Peter. And it's a famous story. You probably heard it even if you don't come to church much. But, but Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And right before Jesus was going to be arrested, Jesus said, Hey, you're all going to abandon me. You're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. And Peter's like, Not me, Jesus. Never me. I would die before I betrayed you. Now, just question. Do you think Peter really believed that? The answer is yes. He absolutely believed what he was saying, but Peter didn't know his own heart and mind as well as Jesus did because Jesus said, Peter, I'll tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Sure enough, as you read the Gospels, it's exactly what happened. And then in another scene, after Jesus is resurrected and he's on the beach and he runs into Peter and he goes up to Peter, he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you, Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I, I just said it. I, I love you. Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says, 
Peter was crushed because Jesus asked him a third time. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times? There are a lot of reasons why that could be. But one of them is because I think Jesus wanted to say, Peter, don't just spout off at the mouth like you always do. Think about what you're saying. You don't really understand your own heart. And your mouth engages before you think about it. I know nobody in this room has that problem. Peter, think about it. Jesus knew that Peter truly did love him. Jesus knew that. But Peter didn't know that about himself. See, the reality is I can deceive myself, but I cannot deceive God. The second thing, it means that God knows everything about me. It means that I can run, but I cannot hide. I can run, but I cannot hide. Look at verse 7 through 12. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I run from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Where can I go, God? Where can I ever go to get away from you? I can go as high up in the air as I can possibly go and you're there. I can go as far down in the sea as I could possibly go and you're there. I could get up with the rising of the sun on the east and travel all the way to where it sets on the other side. And there, your hand will guide me. It constantly finds me. Darkness can't hide me. Darkness is as light to you. Where can I go from you, God? The Bible tells some stories of some people who tried to hide from God. uh, The first couple, Adam and Eve, The Bible says that they walked with God in the coolness of every day until they disobeyed God and then they tried to hide from God. And of course they couldn't hide from God. The prophet Jonah, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to this place and I want you to preach to these people. And Jonah said, no, I'm not going there. He got in a ship and went in the exact opposite direction. And God sent a fish to swallow Jonah and take him back to where he was supposed to be. You can run, but you cannot hide from God. And here's what is true. The thing that causes us to try to hide from God is our sin. The reason Adam and Eve were trying to run from God is because they did something God told them not to do. The reason that Jonah was trying to run from God is because he didn't want to do something that God did tell him to do. They were trying to run away from him. I want you to look around at empty seats in this sanctuary. Because for every empty seat that is in this sanctuary, there is somebody right now who isn't in church because they think that they're running and hiding from God. Has nothing to do with being unhappy with the church. They're not mad at me. They are just living in such a way that they know they've sinned and they are trying to hide from God. And they think they can do it by just not coming to this place. But they're deceiving themselves. Some of you have been in that situation. You, you've lived with so much guilt and shame that you think I'm going to run and, run and hide from God. And because church is the most obvious place where I am confronted with his teaching, where I'm confronted with him, I'll just not go to church and that'll show him. God may be sending a fish your way. You can run, but you cannot hide. The third thing that I think it means for us that God knows everything is that I can deny God, but my existence is evidence of him. Listen to what it says in verse 13. For you, you God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was woven together 
in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eye saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew you before your mama did. The Bible tells us that God knew you before the creation of the world. And that he is the one who knits us together. He is the one that gives us our personalities. He is the one that gives us, that gives us our skills and our, our predispositions. That God is at work in creating and crafting us. And our very existence declares the glory of God that we were created in his image. This is why C.S. Lewis says, you'll never meet an ordinary human being. There is no such thing. Everyone was created in the design and in the glory of God. Now, we don't all try to live that way. We may even try to deny our creator. But the reality is the very existence of an atheist and the fact that that atheist can reason and dream and create is evidence of the God that he or she is denying. You are more than an accident or a random chance of nature. You were divinely designed by a God who had purpose and plan for your life. And the fact that you're here today is evidence of God's creation and God's design. God knows everything about me. Which leads us to, I think, the second truth of Psalm 139. I do not and cannot know myself as God knows me. I do not and I cannot know myself as God knows me. Look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Let's just think about this biologically for a minute. For hundreds and thousands of years, human beings have been trying to figure out human biology. And we discover and learn things every day. And yet it was God who created us. The knowledge, we have not exhausted the knowledge of just the human body, let alone all creation and space. It's too wonderful, it's too lofty for me to attain. Look down with me at verse 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And then the psalmist takes an interesting turn. Listen to this. The tone changes. If only you would slay the wicked, oh God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Wait a minute. We were just all nice and warm and fuzzy. You know, babies being formed in their mama's wombs. And, you know, the rising of the sun and the setting of the same and God knows our words, and now all of a sudden the psalmist is praying for revenge. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Like, what? They make medication for people like that. (laughs) What is going on? This is an obvious obvious detour in the psalm in fact most people who read psalm 139 skip verses 19 through 22 if you notice the video that we watched earlier verses 19 through 22 weren't even in the video why is that so why is it so often ignored well here's what i think is going on on the psalmist part this is a raw honest outburst of his emotions his fears his anger He's presenting to the Lord what he is thinking and what he is feeling in the form of a wish or a desire. He's being transparent and he's being honest. And he's saying, God, I want you to destroy these people. Now, how many times, come on, you're in church, be honest, you don't have to raise your hand. 
especially if the person's here, but how many times have you have prayed that somebody would get what's coming to them? Right? I, mean, I mean, all that grace and mercy stuff, but I need a little judgment right now, God. We need a well-placed lightning bolt right now. Come on. Now, some of you, I know you, and you're too good, you'd never pray that, but for the rest of us, we've prayed that, and if we haven't actively prayed it, we've at least thought it and cleaned it up before we said it out loud, right? The psalmist didn't do that. The psalmist just said, the psalmist just said what he was thinking. And here's what is so important for you to understand and why the Psalms are such good templates for us to learn how to pray because they're so honest and they're so transparent. But you cannot trust every random thought that you have. You cannot trust every emotion that you feel. Let me say that one more time. You cannot trust every thought you have or every emotion that you feel. Some of you can go home right now and think about that all week. Because we live in a culture and a time and a society where emotions dominate our behavior. We react and respond based on how we feel in any given moment. But here's what the psalmist says. The psalmist is saying all this that's true. God, you've searched me and you know me. You know all these things about me. Here's what I'm feeling right now, God. I want your enemies destroyed. I want them wiped out. I hate them, God. But here's what the prophet Jeremiah said about our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Every thought you have, every feeling that you feel isn't truth. And only God knows you. You don't know your own heart. You don't know your own mind. Only he can know that about you. And so we bring our thoughts, we bring our feelings to him, and we ask him to search our hearts and search our minds. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets, it up, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, I, I think what he means there, it could, it could mean a couple things. You can say every, every argument, every pretense that sets itself up against knowing God, we demolish that. But there's another way to read that. That every argument that sets itself up against God's wisdom that God is all-knowing, God is all-seeing. And any time in my own heart, in my own mind, my feelings or my thoughts run counter to the thoughts and the teachings of God, I'm the one who's wrong, not him. Some of you feel like you have fallen out of love with your spouse. I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. That is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. It is a commitment that we make. And if you responded every time you don't feel loving, then you will constantly be whipped back and forth with all the waves of whatever emotion you're feeling that day. However your body chemistry is influencing you that particular day. Whatever you heard on the radio last or, or whatever happened to you in the office last that made you mad. And you're constantly responding out of, a, out of something that just happened to you. Some of you are responding out of a wound that goes way back in your history. Maybe you were raised in a home where there wasn't a lot of money. And so now, money's a stronghold for you. Doesn't matter how much you have, it's never enough. Maybe for you, you suffered abuse or neglect as a child, and there's a wound inside of you that's motivating you, and it causes you to, to respond and react in particular ways. God knows everything about you. You may not even be aware of why you are responding the way you're responding, but God knows all of it. 
And he says, we demolish every argument and pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so when I have a thought that runs counter to what I know God's telling me, that what I know runs counter to the teachings of Jesus, the example of Jesus, I take that thought captive. And I say, you will not be my master. God knows everything about me. I do not and cannot know myself as God knows me, which leads us to the third thing that Psalm 139 teaches us, and that is this, only by knowing God can I truly understand myself. This is why reflective prayer is so important. Now think what he said at the beginning of the psalm. You have searched me and you know me, O God. Look how he ends it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. God, you already know everything, but I'm bringing this feeling that I'm having before you right now. I want vengeance on these people. I hate these people. But God, search me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You catch what he's doing? He's praying a reflective prayer, acknowledging that God knows him, knows everything about him, that he doesn't know himself, and that the only way he will understand his motivation is if he submits himself to God. The Apostle Paul said this, I want to do good, but I just can't do it. I know the bad things I shouldn't do, but those are the very things I keep going back and doing. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote half your New Testament. Don't you think? If the Apostle Paul felt that way, maybe you and I are going to feel that way every now and then too. But God says he tests and knows the heart. He knows what's going on inside of us. And the psalmist is just praying, God, I don't think I'm right about this. But I need you to search my heart and know. I need you to test my anxious thoughts and help me understand. And lead me in the way everlasting. In the way. Lead me in the way. You know, if you leave here today and you're going to a spot in the city or you're traveling and you don't know how to get there you can put an address in your electronic device and that device will tell you step by step how to get to that place but that device needs one other important piece of information before it can chart a course for you how to get to that destination it needs your current location now some of your devices uh, quite honestly may be smarter than you at certain times and know where you are when you don't But if you don't have that feature turned on, you have to enter an address, right? Here's why reflective prayer is so important. If we want to follow after God, if we want to follow him to the destination of his choosing, we better figure out where where we are. We better understand our current location. And the only way you're going to understand your current location is if you acknowledge you don't know it without him. You can't know it without him. Now let me just conclude with some practical tips. Cal Newport Uh, The man who wrote the book I referred earlier, Deep Thinking. This is something he says about deep thinking. Now, this guy is not, I don't know what his religious beliefs are. He's not writing from a spiritual perspective. He's strictly writing from a scientific, corporate perspective. Here's what he says. Deep thinking is a skill to be practiced, not a habit you already know how to do and just need to make more time for. Deep thinking is a skill that needs to be practiced. It's not something you already know how to do and can just do if you just set aside enough time to do it. You can say the same thing about prayer. Prayer prayer is a skill to be practiced 
It's not a habit that you already have. Some of you say, I've tried to pray, and I end up, you know, I end up going through my to-do list. I end up you know, thinking about the bills I've got to pay when I get home. I end up thinking about what I've got to do for work or what we're having for dinner. Before I know it, I'm, you know, I'm balancing my checkbook. I'm, I, I'm doing all kinds of other things. I just can't do it. That's because it's like a muscle that you have to exercise. So I want to just share some, some practical ideas with you today because my hope is that this week that we'll all go out of here and we'll practice reflective prayer. Because listen, you can come in here and think, man, that's the best sermon I ever heard on Psalm 139. Probably isn't, but maybe you'd say that. Best sermon I ever heard on, on Psalm 139. Listen, it was a waste of your time and mine writing it if you don't do this, if you don't practice this. Total waste of our time being here if we don't do this stuff, right? So let me just give you a few ideas how to practice reflective prayer this week. This week. First of all, pray verse 23 and 24. Highlight it, write it on a postcard, memorize it. Start every prayer this week with, Psalm, with verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And then just be quiet. And listen. You just ask God to reveal your heart to you. To reveal your mind to you. To point out anything that you're doing that is offensive to him. Don't you think it would be a good idea to take just a minute in silence and see if he answers that prayer? And then if he does point something out to you, an anxiety, a thought, a worry, don't think of it as a distraction. Write it down. Because that may be the very thing that God's trying to say, let's talk more about why you're so worried about paying your bills today. Let's talk so much about why you're worried about what school your kid is going to go to next year. Let's focus on that thought. What's behind that thought? Pray reflectively. Increase the time of silence each day. If a minute was too long, start with 30 seconds. And, and practice silence. Turn, don't just silence your device, turn it off. I promise you the world will keep spinning without you checking your Facebook status. I promise. Increase the amount of silence every day. Take what God's telling you in your prayer time and talk to somebody about it. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a discipleship partner, an accountability partner. But tell them, hey, this is what I think God, when I prayed and asked God to search my heart, to test my thoughts, to point out anything I'm doing that's offending him, this is what I thought. This is what thoughts keeps coming to my mind. What do you think about that? Talk to somebody about it. And then use the Psalms in this week's reading. If you look on the back of your bulletin, uh, we made a list of Psalms for you at the bottom of the sermon that have for the day. You can read them. Those are all reflective prayers all of them use one every day as a template for how to pray reflectively how to invite God to speak to you and then listen to what he has to say we're going to have a day of prayer and fasting starting this Tuesday March the 6th and 7th we're going to start at 7 o'clock with call to prayer in the prayer chapel you can come and be a part of call to prayer and then Uh, From that point forward, the church is going to be open. We'll have security here around the clock. We're going to have a prayer vigil that goes all the way till Wednesday night when we have dinner at 5.30. For those of you who want to participate in the fast, we're asking you to fast for that period of time. Maybe for some of you, more important than a food fast, maybe you would just turn off all your electronic devices. Say, I'm not going to use any technology unless it has to do with something I have to do for work or school. For 22 hours, just take some time to reflect, practice, 
Will you be perfect in it? No, you won't be perfect. But the point is you're practicing it. You're learning it. So we hope you'll join us. There's a sign-up outside the, these doors by the elevator. Um, we've got some prime times left for the prayer vigil, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I mean, we saved them just for you. Some of you who are retired, come up during the day. We need people to fill those working hours when other folks are, are, are at work. But join us in this prayer vigil. Take a 30-minute slot, take an hour-long slot, come by yourself, come with a friend, come with a small group. But let's practice this together as we learn how to pray reflectively. Turn off your devices. Disconnect so that you can reconnect to God. Now, why is this so important? Because God is inviting you into an intimate relationship with him and you are busy checking your email. God wants you to know him. He wants to reveal your heart to you. But you're too busy binge-watching Netflix. It would almost be as if you were to plan and go on a romantic date. You'd plan it out perfectly. Perfect restaurant. The lighting's perfect. The music is perfect. The food is delicious. You want to get to know this person. You want to connect with this person deeply. And you look across the table, and this is what they're doing. That's how God feels. He's at the table, wanting to reveal himself to us, for us to know him better. And here's what's true, that we cannot know who we really are apart from knowing the God who designed us and made us. And if we're going to do that, you have to start by knowing your current location. And only time with God will show that to you. I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up to the stage. And we're going to do something a little different during our time of reflection today. I don't know how long this song is, maybe two or three minutes. The, the words are absolutely straight from Scripture and absolutely the message for us to hear today. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just the length of this song... And I want you just to be still before the one who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows every time you get up, every time you go out, every time you come in. And I want you during this time of reflection just to, just to first of all, say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't been paying attention. And then I want you to ask him, Lord, teach me how to pay attention. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you bow your heads? Father, we live in a world that seems to be accelerating with every new device and technology and application that comes out. And those things in and of themselves are, are not good or evil. They just are. They can be used for great good. They can be used for great evil. It's not, that's not the problem. The problem is my heart. The problem is my distractions, my unwillingness to be disciplined long enough to sit with you, for you to expose the motivation of my heart, to, for you to peel back the curtain of my mind and help me to understand why I'm thinking the thoughts I have. And so, Lord, so many times I just become a slave, like the Apostle Paul. I want to do good, but I just don't seem to do it. I know the bad things I shouldn't do, but I keep stumbling into them, and I can't help but think 
that, Lord, the reason that is so is because I don't take the time and I don't wait on you. I don't give you the space to speak to the deepest part of my heart, to the deepest part of my mind. And Father, for people in the room today, there are people who have been wounded years ago, decades ago, and they are still operating out of that wound all these years later. Father, I pray that you would help help them know what's going on, that, that they might not be held captive by the thoughts and the feelings that they have, but that you would help them by the power of your spirit to take every thought captive, to make it obedient to Jesus. Lord, we want to be a thoughtful and reflective people. We want to have an intimate relationship with you, but we cannot do that if we will not give you the space to speak to our hearts. So God, maybe for the first time in a long time, right now, help us be still. Help us to know that you are God and we are not. Help us to know that you know everything about us. Remind us that we cannot and will not ever know ourselves. And that only by knowing you can we ever hope to discover who we are and where we're going as you lead us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit.